Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. So I'm going to invite Trey to come out. Those of you who, who are not sure what's going on, we have uh, some of our young leaders are coming out to, uh, to bring messages for us through this Advent season. So my guy Trey is up today, and he's going to talk about this way. Yeah. They don't ever do that for me. <laughs> so he's going to talk about this way and, that, and that not just that Jesus is the way to the Father, but that Jesus shows us the way and this way of peace, which is our Advent subject of the day, is peace. Well, Trey has worked really hard in his preparation. I'm really excited for this, but what I want to do now, uh, I just want to pray. Pray over you. Pray over uh, what's going to happen here. I pray that God will move in this place today. So, please join me. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you that it was your idea to send the Prince of Peace. So, so, so some, some people in this room right now, Lord, they are, they are not in a season of peace right now. May they be pointed to you this morning. There's some people in this room who are in a great season of peace right now. May they fix their eyes upon you and give you the glory. God, we love you. Uh, may you be with Trey. Give him the words that you would have us hear from you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Good morning, church family. It is a pleasure to be with you for our second week in our Advent series. So this week we're going to be talking about Advent peace. Uh, last week Aaron set us up beautifully um, with Advent hope. And so I hope that we can do the exact same thing for Jarrell, who's going to be preaching next week over Advent joy. So if this is our first time meeting, uh, again, hi, my name is Trey Vile. It's a pleasure to meet you. I am one of the residents here at, uh, at Hill City. My official title is the resident of spiritual formation. So my hope with that is that both today and then every day following this in my residency, I pray that my role would be a blessing to you and to the rest of the church. I do want to preface before we jump in um, with something that I have been thinking through a lot as I've uh, had this opportunity uh, given to me. So in Proverbs 10, there's a line that says, where words are plenty, sin is not lacking. This being my first time up here, um, and I'm going to be here up here for 30 minutes. The odds are kind of stacked against me that at some point today I'm going to sin with my words. So I want to ask ahead of time for your grace and for your forgiveness. So if you'll give that to me, I think we should be, uh, should be on a good path. So if you are able, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Today we're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going, Thomas said to him. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So one thing about me that I would like for you to know, and it may be kind of a cheesy thing to say from this position, but I love the Bible. It has captured my attention for a decade now, and my love for it just has grown and grown as time has gone on. In more recent years, however, I've really come to fall in love with the languages that are represented in our Bibles. So if you didn't know, there are three languages in our one Bible. So we have, in the Old Testament, Hebrew, we have a dialect of Hebrew called Aramaic, and then in our New Testament, we have Greek, specifically Koine Greek. I've been in Danny Mac's Greek class this whole semester, so this is kind of an opportunity for me to flex that muscle. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. So although we have three languages in our Bible, what I want to say is that it only represents one people. So even though we might have Greek words, we don't necessarily have Greek ideas or Greek people behind them. We have Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, but it represents one people, the people of Israel, Hebrew people. So when we talk about the word peace in these different languages, the meaning is going to be the same throughout. So there are two that I want to point out today. And one thing about me is that if you, if you ever have me up here, if this is just my last time, hopefully not, you will be learning a new language every single time because I think it's absolutely fascinating. So the first word that we have is the Hebrew word for peace. And you may be familiar with it. It's a pretty common one, and it's the word shalom. Now, what I love about this word, and, and I debated on whether or not to do this, so this word can be used as a greeting. So in the same way that I can say, all right, peace, and you know that I'm about to walk off stage, in the same way in the Hebrew language, we can use shalom as a greeting. I thought about doing a call and response here, but I decided against it. So if I walk into a room and I say shalom, my friend across the room will then look at me and say, Alechem shalom. Alechem shalom. So it's peace and upon you be peace. It would really make my heart very happy if I was walking around the halls of the Galois or when I went to one of your Christmas parties and from across the room I heard someone say, Shalom, alekum shalom. That would be amazing. So if you want to know what to get me for Christmas this year, it's that. The next word is the Greek word, and it's an absolutely beautiful Greek word for peace. It is erenne, erenne. You can actually hear the, the accent here, erenne. So we've established it can be used as a greeting, but there are two other definitions of the word peace in our Bibles that I want to point out today. So the first one is going to be really familiar to us, and it's the absence of violence and war. Absence of violence and war. So, so that's pretty common for us in the modern age. So if our nation is at peace, we are not at war. Pretty simple. The second definition, the second use of this word is a little bit more um, complex, robust, a little bit more ancient. 
and it's to convey a sense of completeness or wholeness. A sense of completeness or wholeness, which we don't really use that, we don't use the word peace for very often. So you could say, is that wall in peace? Meaning, are all the, are all the pieces there, or are some of them missing? So when the ancients, uh, when the ancients considered who the Messiah was, this is what they thought was coming with his rule. An absence of violence and warfare, but also this sense of completeness and wholeness. So in Isaiah, it talks about how the Messiah would beat their swords into plowshares. What, what they used for violence will now be used for farming. And I think that that is a beautiful, beautiful image. But they also believed that he was going to restore the wholeness of our world. Creation cries out, is in groaning, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. So this is what they believed was coming with who we believe is Jesus of Nazareth. But I want to ask a very forward question today. I don't mean to get too serious too quickly. But is this true of our world? Are we really more at peace now that Jesus of Nazareth has arrived. We just left the bloodiest century in human history. The 1900s. We had World War I, World War II, apartheid, the Rwandan genocide, amassed hundreds of millions of lives lost in this one century. I wouldn't say that we're any more at peace in our world as far as violence and warfare. Are we any more complete or whole now it would probably only take about an hour on Instagram to find out that that's not true. We are more internally and externally scattered than ever before. And it would be really easy to say that there are two solutions to this, and these are the two that I've heard the most frequently, and I'm not sure if either are really the way of Jesus that he's talking about in John 14. On the one hand, you have a view that would say, if you're not at peace, then that, that's just your fault. The Prince of Peace is ruling in our world, and you need to just believe. You need to understand truthfully about who Jesus is, and then you'll have it figured out. There's another side that says, well, that's just the way our world works, so you might as well get over it. Again, I don't know if either of these are really the way of Jesus. So I want to I parse these out a little bit, and I want to talk about them as clearly as I can so that we can identify them in our own lives as we identify the way of Jesus. On the one side, we have the view that I want to call optimistic. This is the view that says, for the gospel to be true, I can't suffer. It's the way of the world, as if Proverbs were the only book in our Bible. This is the world as it ought to be. Do good things, and good things will happen. This has some strengths, of course. This worldview is, is rife with blessing, with grace from above. But it isn't able to empathize. It doesn't understand the suffering of our world. It's not able to look at the neighbor who isn't able to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and say, I'm here with you. But then, as you guessed it, if we have optimism over here, then this is pessimism. We also have a pessimistic view of peace that I want to point out today. 
This view says our world is just broken. That's just reality. And so you might as well get used to it. If you don't have peace, of course you don't. Of course, it totally makes sense. The strengths of this, of course, is that people who kind of live in this worldview are never surprised by anything. If terror and tragedy hit their life, it's okay, absolutely. That makes sense. But it can't accept that at the heart of our world and everything that goes on in it, there is a loving God who is working all things out for good. And so we have our two sides. And I want to point out that these are at best half-truths. It gets part of, part of our world right, part of who Jesus is right, but in another way it misses a major reality. So what does this leave us with? Are either of these the way that Jesus is talking about in John 14? I've debated on whether or not to share this, but I feel that it's the clearest representation of this tension in my own life. Um, in March of this year, my wife Toby and I, um, we were blessed with a new nephew. His name is Ellis. Shortly after his birth, we were given the news that Ellis would likely be diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder that could limit his physical and mental development. Often in mild cases, it could be treated, and the person could go on to live a relatively normal life. But we found out that Ellis's was going to be particularly severe. This meant that he would develop normally for a few years, but he would ultimately not live past 11 years old. Now, his, his parents, God bless them, they were quick to try and find another solution so they decided on an experimental procedure that had shown, um, shown good results with other patients. Thanks to the brilliant minds of the doctors and nursing staff at, at Children's KC, that operation went off without a hitch. And we were simply just waiting for his recovery. There was a light at the end of the tunnel. But that recovery never came. What did come was complication after complication after complication. And we waited for days, for weeks, for months. There eventually came a day when we would all gather by Ellis's bedside to say our final goodbyes. And shortly after, he was taken off life support and was gone from us. I learned very quickly the relationship between peace in Jesus and the suffering of our world. A few short days later, I was asked to oversee his funeral and share the peace and the hope that could be found in Jesus. And I don't share Ellis's story to make you feel sad on this Sunday morning, admittedly. The reason I share it is because I know that there are probably a hundred stories that are just like it, sitting right in front of me. Stories that you are carrying. 
You may not have lost a nephew, but it may have been a parent or a spouse or a child. You may have lost your job in the pandemic, or you might be watching your marriage on the decline. And I want to speak to the kids in the room. There may come a time, you may, there may have been a time, where you're experiencing hurt at school, and all you want is a friend. You don't feel like there's one there for you. I don't mean to spoil the message today, but I want to say that that is Jesus. And I want to point out why that is. Whenever I was in this process, the thing that, that actually disturbed me the most, the thing that, that held the most pain for me was when I, was, I would share this story and people would respond with, well, it's all a part of God's plan. If you've been in a similar situation, you, you might be able to uh, empathize with this. I've admittedly said that on a number of occasions. But the thing that was the most comforting to me in this time there was one occasion where somebody looked me in the eye with great love in their heart. And they said, I don't know why this is happening. I love you. God loves you. God was mourning first. And it revolutionized the way that I viewed suffering. God was not this person who is sending suffering just for my character development. But praise God, he was using it to keep it from being meaningless in the end. Now, I can't bring myself to say that it's all a part of God's master plan. But I also can't say that these things don't have any meaning. The optimism and the pessimism. I didn't want to say, this is just a gift and I need to accept that. Nor did I want to say that this is just the reality of our world and I should move on and get over it. And from this tension, a third way emerged. What I think is the way of Jesus, the way that he's talking about in John 14. So as I'm preparing for this, uh, this funeral, I'm peeling through the scriptures. I'm desperate for something, some word of peace from the Lord through the scriptures that I can offer to people who are in mourning. And what I found was really interesting and I promise it's not that hard to find. What I found was that Jesus himself suffers. Our prince of peace suffers. That seems kind of antithetical when I thought about it. But it's all over the place. He weeps by the grave of a friend. He's sorrowful to the point of death. Jesus holds these two things in tension very well. He experiences, on the one hand, peace that surpasses understanding, but on the other, he experiences great pain. Now, as I was trying to think through um, just how to clearly put this into a metaphor or something that could connect, like, what do we do with this? How do we do this? How did Jesus do it? There's a prayer that has been deeply affecting my life for a number of years that I want to share with you today. Now, I want to read it through one time, and I want to invite you to close your eyes and consider what this would look like in your life. And then once we're through it the first time, I'm going to invite you to join me in praying it over yourself. It reads as such. 
God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I now invite you to join me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So this was written by a guy named Reinhold Niebuhr. Now that sounds like a very European name, but he actually grew up in Wright City, Missouri, just west of St. Louis. So he was a theologian, but it wasn't very popular in, in the academic circle that he was in. It wasn't very popular even in the church for quite some time. This prayer gained its popularity through being said and recited at every single Alcoholics Anonymous meeting since 1948. A group of people that are suffering under the weight of addiction found hope in this. And this is our third way. We're not blind optimists as followers of Jesus, nor are we cynical pessimists. Rather, as Aaron said last week, we live as people of hope. We accept the things that we cannot change, but we still hold courage for the things that we can. These four weeks of Advent aren't separate ideas. I want to be really clear on that. They all go hand in hand. Somehow, by his grace and by his mercy, God takes what was meant to shatter us and he uses it for our good. Now, this doesn't mean I don't believe that suffering is God's will, that God deals out suffering just for our growth. But praise God that it isn't meaningless in the end. Isaiah 53 says that it was God's will that the Messiah would suffer, but he never had to. Did God have to come down, join us in our humanity, and suffer? I would say the answer is no. But being compelled by his deep love for us he could do nothing else. 
This week at, at Salt Company, they talked about Emmanuel, God with us. And I think that that's a really nice statement. But have we ever considered that you can actually see the lines on God's face now? That you can feel the coarseness of his hands. That maybe Jesus had a certain look on his face when he, when he cried or when he laughed. There are distinct features that we can see in his human face. And it's for this reason that I trust Jesus was being honest when he said that he gives peace, but he doesn't give as the world gives. Do we, do we think that that simply means an absence of violence? I think that Jesus is far more creative than that. The peace that Jesus has to offer is making us whole even now even in the midst of our suffering. And it's through that very wholeness that we can see an end to the war and violence. We can see our world restored, that we can be with God. And we see it today. I mean, we see it very clearly. The people who are often the most peaceful, the most joyful, the most hopeful, the most loving, I think are nine times out of ten the people who have suffered the most. But it hasn't been useless. They've handed it over to God for God to use it to make them people of a deeper peace than the world has to offer. So, we maintain that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that his rule is, albeit slowly, coming to our world even now. So is peace a reality in our time? I would say now yes and not yet. Is the kingdom really here amongst us? Yes and not yet. And so, Hill City, in this Advent season, we are reminded that we too are waiting. We await the day that, as our prayer says, all things are made right. We await the day that Jesus makes everything whole again. There will come an end to our suffering. But until then, we live as people of this third way. We live as people of hope. Holding peace and suffering within us. We allow it to shape us through the power of the Spirit of God. And I want, you, I want this to be the one thing that you walk away with. If, if you're taking notes, this is the, the one that I want to really be in bold. The good news is this, that what is true of Jesus may also be true of us. What is true of Jesus may also be true of us. Jesus was born fully God, fully man, into a messy family situation. All you have to do is read the first pages of your New Testament and you'll see it plain as day. He toils in his work. He experiences grief, betrayal, loss. He weeps and he experiences a physical death. This will be true of us. I don't mean to be morbid. We will toil in our work. We will feel pain and we will suffer a physical death one day. 
But if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that that isn't the end of what is true of Jesus. That Jesus was also raised to new life. That he is no longer suffering in a kingdom of peace that will go on forever. This also will be true of us. We will know peace reasonably in this life and supremely in the next. If you're serving communion, I'd like to invite you to begin preparing it. If you don't know Jesus, I want to make this your invitation and I want to make it very clear that what is true of him may be true of you as well. Trust me when I tell you that nothing about Christianity will ever be worth it unless it is compelled by Jesus. You're more than welcome to, to attend our gatherings, to, to join a city group, to read your Bible, to pray. And those are all great things. But at the end of the day, it's just good advice unless it's compelled by Jesus. Now, during our time of communion, our pastors, our elders, and some staff are going to be up here in the front. And they would, they would love to pray with you and talk with, talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. It'll seem awkward, I'm sure. It'll seem awkward. But it's just not a good enough reason to miss out on the peace of Jesus. It's just not. I don't know why you're going through what you are. I don't know why suffering happens. But I love you. God loves you. God was mourning first. In Hill City, as you take communion today, I want you to meditate on this. It's Christ's body that was broken for you. It's Christ's blood shed for you. It is through the very sufferings of Christ that we are made whole. It is through the very tearing of the curtain that we may have peace. I want you to consider what this means for your own suffering. To live in that third way, the way of Jesus. Because the good news is, Christmas is coming. We're going to play a few more songs, but I invite you now to partake in the bread and in the cup.